This afternoon for a little bit, I want to talk about gardening and harvesting and growing the Lord's kingdom. And the question that I'm about to ask you is not for you to feel like a spiritual loser, because every time I ask the question of myself, I don't feel very good, but when was the last time you led someone to Christ? When was the last time that your interaction with someone uh, resulted in them being baptized into Christ, whether Christ, whether Bible study or whatever. Has it been a while? If you're like me, it probably has been. And even though that I haven't led personally someone to the gospel and directly teaching the gospel, does, does that make me a, a loser in the Lord's kingdom? Should I just give up and just not even try anymore? You know, it, we kind of feel that way sometimes. And I don't want us to feel like spiritual losers. None of us are. We need to be fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what the Lord instructed us to do. We need to share the gospel. And we need to tell others and teach others about Christ. For a little bit this afternoon, I want to look at how we can be a voice for the gospel and how we can be maybe effective in sharing the gospel with others. A lot of times we leave it just to the church in an assembly like this or we leave it to somebody doing a Bible study or whatever the case is. And what can we do in our everyday lives that will help us spread and share the truths about God's kingdom? You know, times change. It's a lot different than it was 50 years ago, maybe even 25 years ago. You know, growing up in the small town where I was in Sentinel, Oklahoma, and, and worshiping in Dill City, Oklahoma, you know, everyone that I knew of believed in the Bible. They believed in Jesus. They believed in heaven. They believed in hell. In my small town, there was all the major church denominations as most towns did, I don't remember anyone being an atheist. And if they were, they sure didn't announce it. Everyone was affiliated with some sort of church. And when we started the congregation in Stillwater, some 35, 36 years ago, 37 years ago, everyone that I had a Bible study with or interacted with believed in the Bible. Most of the time, they believed in, the, the, in the, the, uh, the truth of the scriptures, that it was true, what was written in there. Very little time was it spent ex, uh, explaining or proving the existence of God or proving truth because everyone accepted the truth, that being the Christian. You know, today, Christian words and, and Christian doctrines are a bit of a puzzle to people. They're a bit of a mystery. Where in previous times, those doctrines made sense, those words made, made sense. Even perhaps they didn't live them or maybe didn't necessarily believe them. They made sense to people, but not so much anymore. The world is not quite as simple as it used to be. But you know, the gospel is still the gospel. That has not changed, nor should ever change. 
even though the progressives in the religious world would like for us to change that to make it more pleasing to modern ears. There's a lot of hostility toward the gospel today. And that hostility is just not against the gospel, which has always been a stumbling block. Scripture tells us that. But it's hostility toward every biblical view of reality, every biblical view of human, what it means to be gendered, what it means to be moral, and what even it means to be true. It's hostile. And even worse than that, the words that we use to offer hope are often seemed as words of hatred to outsiders. That we're bigots and homophobes to those that believe our spiritual views or obey our moral convictions. It's just hostility toward those things. And it seems that our culture, well, it's not seem, our culture is rapidly moving from one that's increasingly secular and more anti-Christian. That's just a fact. And we continue to be faithful. But our Christian language is becoming unintelligible to non-Christians. They just don't get it. People don't understand our ideas, so it makes it hard to understand the message, which to them often seems obsolete and irrelevant. And that confusion can be spiritually lethal. Men and women's souls are in the balance of how we present the gospel to others. For a little bit, I want to talk about our spiritual harvest and our gardening in the Lord's kingdom. You know, that spiritual confusion can be roadkill. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus relates the famous parable of the sower. And it's about some seed that did not do anything, but rather it was what happened to the seed when it landed somewhere. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9, or I'm sorry, 3 through 4, it says, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. So pretty simple to understand. So the sower along it fell along the path. So back in time of Jesus, between the fields, they would walk along a path that separated the fields. I see this in India all the time. Between the fields, there'd be this hard path. And as the sower went out, he just threw the seed, mainly in the cultivated ground, but often it would fall on the path that was hard. And what happened? Well, the little birds came and they would eat the seed because it was easy pickings. No mystery there. I think that's pretty straightforward for us to understand. Hard ground, no growth. Some people just won't listen. Isn't that what Jesus was talking about? Some people just won't listen? Perhaps. Perhaps not. Jesus clarifies his parable to us. We're not going to read the entire parable. We're going to clarify what he says about this part. And this will give us a clue of what we're trying to, to point out today. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
So what happened? The seed was sown, but what? they don't understand it. And notice also that it's been sown in his heart. So the seed that fell on the hard ground just didn't bounce off. They just didn't understand it. So the evil one comes and snatches it away. I think of that wayside and the seed that never penetrated the soil because of the hardness of the soil. But again, Jesus said the seed was sown in his heart. It was just not understood because of that it was snatched away by the devil. You know, we speak these Christian words and phrases and people just, they just don't get it. They, don't just, they just don't understand. It's not necessarily they were opposed to the word. They were opposed to the things that you were saying. They just didn't understand. Compare that with Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So here's the question. According to Jesus, what is the chief difference between the first and the last, between the faithful and the faithless, but between the one who bears nothing and the one who bears in abundance? It's understanding. It's not opposition. It's not hatred. Now, certainly there is some of that to Christianity today. But Jesus said it was understanding. And as a result, they're roadkill. The birds came and just picked it up, consumed it, and it was gone. What can we do to help people understand the gospel message. Notice what Paul said in, Col in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. He says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought, how you ought to answer each one. Notice what, Jesus, or what Paul says. He said, Walk in wisdom. What does that mean? We need to have wise behavior. We need to be wise about how we approach and how we present the gospel. He says we need to have our speech seasoned with salt. And what does that mean? Appealing words. Salt makes food appealing or more appealing. And then he said, answer each one. To me, that is individual attention. How we approach people with the gospel is so important. Circumstances are unique. People are individuals. I would never approach an atheist a way I would approach someone who has knowledge of the gospel and who is on the verge of obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just two different things. That's where we need to be wise. We need to be appealing and we need to give them individual attention according to their circumstances. You know, in people's journey in Christ, there's somewhere between the complete rejection and the total surrender of Christ. As I said, I would not approach the atheist and the almost Christian 
But they're all on a journey. And they're all, everyone's somewhere between complete rejection and complete surrender. And sometimes our evangelistic game plan just focuses on this. Now, I'm not saying that's not good. We want people to surrender to Christ. But sometimes that's all we think about is the end game. And if we're just focusing on, the, on that, we're not following Paul's direction because we're not crafting our message and our communication to other people uniquely to each person. The approach that we used 50 years ago, 30 years ago, the five-part Bible study, I love the five-part Bible study, but that cookie-cutter approach just is not perhaps effective as it was some years ago. Again, I, I'm not putting that down at all. But if I sat down with a five-part Bible study with someone who's an atheist, that's probably not going to go very well because it's pretty based on people believing and understanding God. It's just not going to work. I've got to craft the communication and how I approach and talk to people about the world. And if I don't, if I can't help people understand, the evil one's going to steal the word because the seed that was sown is not understood. So what can we do? What's the, what's the work that we can do to help people understand the work? Well, first of all, we need some spade work. Now, I want you to think about a comparison that's not especially profound in itself, but it's profound in the implications for our approach in sharing the gospel with others. Before there can be any harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. It, it does not work any other way. You know, we, we've got to prepare. You know, growing up on a farm, when my dad sowed wheat in October, when he sowed that wheat, I never, ever, ever saw him go out the next day with the combine. He's ready to go. I never saw that. I saw the combine come out first part of June when he saw the plants were ready to harvest. And in between that time was the season was the season of gardening. The watering, the weeding, the spraying of insecticides, the application of fertilizer, whatever it was, was the time of gardening for the harvest. You know, as a kid, it was always the highlight of my farming year. I got to drive the combine. I wasn't too interested in sowing. I wasn't too interested in fertilizing. All I wanted to do was drive the combine because that was cool. I was all about the harvest. But if there hadn't been gardening, there was no harvest to be had. You know, and I guess that's why I got to drive the combine because it's so easy, even a child could do it. So here's Bryson, my oldest grandson, out in the backyard picking tomatoes. Tomato plants are in the back. He thought that was great fun, reaching up there and grabbing the tomatoes and, picking, and putting them in there and then going to eating them. He was there at harvest time, but where was he during the, the time of gardening? He wasn't around. 
He wasn't weeding. He wasn't watering. He wasn't fertilizing. Harvest is easy. Gardening is hard. How many conversations in Bible studies have we had with no visible effects? Several. How many Bible studies have we started and then they just quit because people just lose interest? How many hours of gardening have we put in without any visible harvest? It's a lot. You know, it's intensive. It's exhausted. It's hard work. Now, does that mean we're failures because we didn't have a harvest? Put that thought on a shelf, and we're going to return back to that in just a little bit. Jesus tells us there's one field, two seasons, and two workers. Once you consider what Jesus said after he spoke with the women at the well in John chapter 4. You know, the disciples had arrived on the scene just as as the Samaritan woman had left to go to Sychar to tell others about this amazing man that she had met. And he talks to his disciples there in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Or rather, in verse 36. He says, And and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Jesus identifies one field but distinguishes between two different seasons, between the sowing and the reaping, the gardening and the harvest. He says they're different. He has he who sows and he who reaps. You reap that for what you have not labored. So you got one team, but you got two different workers. Those that garden and those that harvest. And for the town of Sychar, which is mentioned in Scripture, the reaping season was at hand. Jesus said it was wide into harvest. But you know, someone else had done the heavy lifting. He said, Jesus told his disciples, you've entered into their labors. Jesus was telling his disciples that they were harvesting where others had not gardened. Where they had not gardened, rather. And probably it was the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist, maybe Jesus Christ himself, who had labored. Who had planted that seed, who had prepared the ground. He said, you guys got the easy work. You're just out there harvesting, but others have gardened. Point is, evangelism is a team effort. It takes you and it takes me. And it takes all of us working together. Gardeners and harvesters work together for the ultimate goals that they might rejoice together, as we read in verse 36. We're all happy when someone comes to the Lord. You know, let's face it, it takes a certain temperament to be a harvester, you know, the one to close the deal. And if we're gardeners and we try to make ourselves into harvesters, we're more than likely just not going to do anything. You know, I can't do that five-part study. It's hard. It just I just have a hard time closing that deal. And 
the idea of pressing someone for a decision in study number five is just terrifying to us. We just can't do that. And I get that. I get that. But maybe what we can do is tend the garden and let someone else do the harvesting. Sometimes all we see is the labor. And after repeated efforts, we're going to say, what's the point? But remember, when gardeners garden, there is no harvest. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. So he didn't plow when he was supposed to, and he had no harvest. So what's the point? All of us working together, whether it's harvesting or gardening, is critical and essential. There is no kingdom expansion without gardening. There's no kingdom expansion without your effort and your spade work in the garden. So what can we do? You know, when I'm in a conversation with someone about spiritual matters or, or anything, you know, or I, let me back up. If I'm in a conversation with someone that I hope leads to spiritual, uh, spiritual matters or a spiritual conversation, I never think that as soon as it does, I'm going to lead that person to Christ. I never do. Now, I hope it would, but we know that it, it's probably not. I don't try to close the deal. I don't try to get them in the waters of baptism. When we start talking about spiritual things, even though I want that person to come to Christ, and the gospel is necessary for salvation, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, the gospel's not the issue here. It's our preparation, and it's our gardening. Remember the parable of the sower. The pro, excuse me, the problem is the ground that the seed falls on. Where there's no understanding, there's no harvest. Where the hard ground is, there needs to be tilling. So we converse with people. And we need to help them understand what's going on. So what's a modest goal for us? If we lower the bar that we can raise the impact of the people that we come in contact with, what can we do? What are some things that we can do? Well, first of all, we can ask questions. Have you ever heard anyone in a spiritual conversation or a conversation just say, you know, there's just no truth? Ask them, what do you mean by that? We need to ask questions of people who, who make these comments about Scripture or Jesus. If someone in your conversation makes a claim like the Bible has errors, ask them to explain that. Just don't jump on them saying, you're wrong, that's stupid, the Bible is totally true. We're not going to get anywhere with that. Let's ask questions of people. When we have spiritual discussions and things come up that we know that's not true, but they believe it, ask questions. What do you mean by that? We need to use that to engage people in spiritual conversations. Why? So we can till the ground. We need to do some spade work. Maybe we need to understand other person's beliefs. 
I bet you know at least one person who goes to a different church than you do. Have you ever asked them about their beliefs? Hey, what do you guys, what, what, do, you, what do you believe about so-and-so? Maybe you have a friend who's a Hindu. You ever interested? What do Hindus believe? Or Buddha, what is Buddhism? What does that mean? Could you help me understand that? Maybe we need ourselves to be asking questions about and understanding other people's beliefs so we can help teach the truth to them. What are we doing? We're spading the ground. Maybe we need to use our friendships. We can do this to have discussions. We can do this to extend invitations to church, to church events, gospel meetings, church services, whatever the case is. We use our friendships. What are we doing? We're trying to spade the ground. We're spading the garden. We're tilling the garden so that we can create understanding so when the seed lands, it'll stay there. And if the ground is hard, the seed's just going to bounce right off of it. We've seen a lot of hard ground. You've probably seen hard ground in people. Well, no matter how many times we throw seed at it, it's just going to bounce right off. We need to cultivate. We need to garden. Heard it put this way. Maybe we just need to put a stone in somebody's shoe. All I want to do is to give them something worth thinking about. I want them to hobble away on a nugget of truth that annoys them in a good way and something that they just can't ignore because it just continues to poke at them. I think about the scripture. Many times I've shared the scripture with folks who don't believe that that baptism is necessary for salvation. You turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and they said, I've never seen that before. I didn't know that was there. I gave them a nugget of truth to think about and to bug them and to annoy them in a good way. The point is, don't worry about the end game. Instead, let's get busy doing spade work and gardening on the hearts of men and women. We need to find ways to cultivate people for them to come to Christ. And just randomly throwing gospel scriptures at them is probably not the most successful way. Yes, it's the truth. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 is the truth. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 is the truth. But if we just start throwing it at hard ground, it's just going to bounce right off. Cultivation and gardening. Not everyone has the same gifts. I can't talk to people the way other people talk to people. I can't always approach people like other people can approach people. Sometimes it's just their temperament. Some might sow. Some might reap. Some might do, might do more gardening than others. That's okay. If you can be a harvester and you can put the pressure sale on them, for the lack of a better term, to have them come to Christ and convince them to make a decision for Christ, then by all means, do it. But if you're a gardener, if you can just ask questions 
if you can converse, if you can understand people better in their beliefs, then start gardening. Do that. Till the soil, plant the seed, water the plants. You know, we always do things like this because we do want to harvest. But you know, every year that my dad planted wheat, he expected a harvest. But in the back of his mind, he always knew that drought might come, the hailstorm might come, the aphids might come, wheat rust might come. There was always that possibility. No matter how much he sowed, no matter how much he grew, it was always a possibility that he would lose the harvest. Did that discourage my dad from planting wheat? He did it every year. He did it every year. He expected a harvest, but he wasn't going to get one unless he started gardening, unless he started planting. Solomon encouraged us. Solomon says, just do it. No, Solomon was not the first spokesman for Nike, but he could have been. Because Solomon said, just do it. Read with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Solomon said, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Giving, or give a serving to seven, and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. So Solomon says, cast your bread upon the water. Oops, sorry about that. Cast your bread upon the water. What does that mean? From what I can understand, it was in reference to maritime trading in the time of Solomon. Now, Farmers could have sold their produce locally and made money, but if you were to ship it to some far-off land, the returns was so much greater that they were willing to take that risk. So the phrase, cast your bread upon the waters. There was a big return coming if all went well. Considerable risk, but great return. Verse 2, he says, give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Here's an element of unpredictability. Who knows what's going to happen? Have your investments, for the lack of a better term, in several places. You just don't know what's going to happen. Verse 3 says, the rain will fall, the tree will fall, you can't change these factors nor predict them. How many times have we went into a, a Bible study or something like, oh, they're never going to accept that. We just write them off because we know their background, we know what kind of life they've lived, and it's just going to be, let's just forget them. We don't know. We don't know. We can't change factors, nor can we predict them. Solomon says, just do it. Verses 4 through 5. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of, whose, of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. 
You know, if a farmer says, you know, the wind's blowing too much, I can't sow. It's going to rain too much, I can't harvest. If we pay too much attention to the risk or how we think things are going to turn out, we're just not going to do anything because we're afraid to. Or we've already prejudged how we think this thing's going to turn out. And we can't understand how God makes everything works. Just like I can't understand how the baby grows in the womb and how it becomes human life. We just don't understand how God works. So we come to verse 6. And he says, in the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your head. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that. Or whether both will be, or whether both alike, will be good. So what Solomon tells us: just keep working. Work in the morning, work in the evening. We don't know, nor can we predict how things are going to turn out. You know, the wise person is industrious and productive all the time, not trying to figure out what will happen in the future. They just keep working. You know, during COVID, I saw a lot of people in Stillwater businesses who quickly adapted, especially the restaurants, from going from in-service to carry-out or delivery service. They made that pivot pretty quickly. It would have been pretty easy just to sit there and wring your hands and say, we're not going to get through this. We'll never make enough money. We'll never get enough customers just by doing delivery or them coming to pick up, you know, I'm just going to close the doors. No matter what we do, we're never going to get people to church. I don't care. We've just had gospel meeting after gospel meeting after gospel meeting. We've sent out invitations. We've done door knocking. We've done this. We've done that. Let's just close the doors and go home. Is that what we want? Solomon says, nope, that's not what we do. In the morning, sow your seed, and in the evening, do not withhold your hand. You know, the efforts of your gardening and your spading may come 50 years after you die. We just don't know. And the efforts that you do here today in Wheeler in this coming year, and your, you talked about your goals that you had, you may not see those effects until you're gone. We just keep working. It doesn't matter. So we need to be that hard-working gardener. Knowing that our, hard, I'm sorry, that our work will eventually bring some sort of harvest. That harvest may be unexpected. That harvest may be something that you never, ever thought about. You just don't know what a word, a kind thought, an act of good is going to do because of what you do. A couple of years ago, there was a young man that sent an email to our church website and says, hey, I'm from the Netherlands. I'm here on an internship. I would like to come to church. I said, you bet, just come on. We were gone that next Sunday, but we found out that a young man rode his bicycle a couple miles and came to church. 
and he was a member of the church back in the Netherlands, and because of people's kind words and encouragement, doing some gardening and harvesting with this young man, we have opportunities now in the Netherlands that we never had before in sowing the, the seed of the kingdom. This is just one example of many of, in people's lives. All we can do is sow the seed. All we can do is encourage and work. Paul told us, I planted <clears throat> Apollos water, but God gave the increase. There will be an increase if we work. My encouragement to you and to me and all of us, let's just keep sowing the seed. Let's just keep working. And if there's a harvest that comes, that's wonderful. If it's not the harvest that we predicted that it would be, that's wonderful. But God's going to give the increase. So let's all work together in the Lord's kingdom so that a harvest can come and people can be led and be baptized in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This evening, the lesson is yours. I hope it's been one of encouragement to all of us to go out and be workers in the Lord's kingdom that it may grow. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.